Trek Companion, episode 41. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing uh, DS9's sixth season, the final three episodes, Time's Orphan, Sound of Her Voice, and Tears of the Prophets. Let's go. Time's Orphan, Season 6, Episode 24, Production Number 548, Original Air Date, May 20th, 1998, Teleplay by Bradley Thompson and David Weddle, Story by Joe Minoski, Directed by Alan Croker, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien, Michelle Krusiak as Molly O'Brien at 18, Hannah Hate as Molly O'Brien, Sean Beniak as Pinar, and Randy James as Lieutenant Jones. <laughs> O'Brien is reunited with his wife, Keiko, and their two children. But during a celebratory picnic on a nearby planet, eight-year-old Molly falls into a vortex of swirling energy. When the rest of the crew arrives to help, they determine Molly slipped through a time portal that sent her back 300 years to a time when the planet was uninhabited. They reactivate the portal and transport Molly out, but the calculations are off by a decade. When Molly materializes on the transporter pad, she is an 18-year-old woman. Well, there's no doubt about it. The DNA sequences match. This is definitely Molly. My reading suggests that she's 18 years old. We pulled her out 10 years too late. It's a miracle you managed to get her back at all, Miles. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've talked about this game, Steve and I used to play, where, like, you see how quickly we could remember which episode it was in the first few seconds? This is one of those ones in the first few seconds. I kind of want to stop it. <laughs> this episode, I don't... Man. Okay. You know, I have strong feelings about this one. Um, Steve, why don't you start us? And, um, <laughs> well... Yeah, you know, something just to start on a positive note, I suppose. I I do like the uh, interaction between Miles and Keiko in this one. Um, It it felt more real than usual somehow. I'm not sure why. I mean, their their interactions seem, I mean, if you take for, you know, take it as what it is, that the situation as what it is, the reactions seem fairly plausible and how they, you know, communicate to each other about it seem like a, a real husband and wife and so forth. The, the way they communicate with each other? Oh, okay. Do you think that the way they're reacting to the situation as a whole is plausible? Well, I, th- I think they would have freaked out more in real, you know, in actuality. I think yes. communication between two people and given a circumstance, whatever, to each other, <coughs> parents husband and wife and so forth but yeah i mean it's a little it's a little over the top take sci-fi for granted or something you know like oh here we go something kooky happening you know (laughs) you know that's what bothers me about this episode more than anything else it's like (laughs) you know (laughs) uh, yeah molly fell into a pit came out you know wild child caveman but no big deal this kind of thing happens all the time that's what it felt like yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's Star Trek's version of the girl fell in the well. Um, you know, with all the problems in the beginning of the episode, my my actual issue with this whole episode is is the end where it's just all wrapped up in a nice neat bow. I thought it would have been a lot cooler or a lot braver choice if for them to to leave back. it. Yeah, or, yeah. or if she not came back, or they just left her as the 18-year-old girl and just gone with that character moving forward. I thought it was kind of cheesy that, you know, okay, she had a little accident and then, you know, it's like civil services is going to come in and take her away. Like, you know, the O'Briens are 
you know, criminal crackheads or something like that. It's like she has one incident and they're going to take her away. I had a little problem with that and I had a little problem with like, oh, we're just going to send her back and let her fend for herself. I just, it was just weird. I thought the braver choice would have been to leave her as is and just go with the character. That would have been an interesting character moving yeah, forward. I, I wrote that exact point down. Like it was a lost opportunity to kind of make the episode, to kind of salvage the episode to me, to make mm-hmm. it kind of worth something and mean something. Um, is if either of those things had happened, if they had let the 18 year old go back or, um, let her stay as 18, but not have young Molly return. But, but even that, even, even their solution right at the end there, Miles is like, well, I don't want to send her to the special school. So let's just send her back 300 years into the past so she can live on her own in the jungle. Yeah. That's like WTF. That was my, that's that's your solution problem. And then Keiko was all aboard. She was like, okay, yep, let's do it. I'll miss you, baby. Yeah, you can't you can't really buy it straight up as the parent making a sacrifice for the kid because it's it's sending them off to God knows what you know to fend for themselves. So that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, really, the only way this would have worked is is something like that where they the the notion is they have to deal with a person that with the problems that she has now that she's had those ten years of her life. They just leave it like that. And even so, establishing the situation feels like more of a B story than an A story. You know, if, if that was the route they wanted to go, it's like something else really is going on. Then like, oh, this crazy thing happened and everyone freaks out. But let's that's a sideline so we can develop in the future episodes. Not let's make wrap up a little story that's kooky like this and then we just see it ends and it's everything's fine you know so yeah as so. always when, when there's an episode that i'm not so fond of you know there's definitely a cool idea in there and you know when i looked it up it seemed like the average trek fan liked this episode or certainly liked it uh, more than i did and as also also as usual i didn't hate it um but I did. I agree with you, Brian. There were a lot of lost opportunities from this episode that they could have taken advantage of, and it sticks out like profit and lace in the season. And by the way, a couple of you took Steve up on his offer and wrote in your thoughts about profit and lace, and we'll we'll read those at the end of the podcast today. Um, but but to me, it kind of sticks out like profit and lace as far as being a sixth season episode, and almost almost worse in a way. At least profit and lace feels like a DS nine episode, even if, in my opinion, it's a not a good episode. This episode doesn't even necessarily feel like a DS9 episode. I mean, this they yeah. could have they could have tried this just as unsuccessfully um, on one of the other series. Yeah, it's a, a kind of a next gen kind of yeah. next gen was great about wrapping things up really quick, you know, in a yeah. nice neat bowl, bowl. And that's kind of uh, bow. And that <laughs> that's was kind Gene of the nice thing about DS9. It's they do. That, that they, was Gene Ronberry's legacy. You know, that's that was very important to him on the original series, and and you know, as creator of Next Gen, he started that the same way. So he really wanted everything to be a bottle. Um, but DS Nine wasn't that way. Yeah, not near to the extent. I mean, there there are a number of episodes that are wrapped up nice and neat, but I mean, it, they do go off off the reservation as far as Roddenberry's concerned. So that's you know that's why we like the show. Mm-hmm. What's what's better, I think, is the B stuff with Worf and yeah, uh, oh, yeah, and, uh, you know, and especially how all that leads up to the end of the season as well, yeah. you know. So that's worth uh, worth watching Yoshi and proving to um, Jadzia that he can be a good father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that stuff's cute and it's funny and it's fun and and it's it's you see it coming like whenever he's like I'm a warrior and I can, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's nice, you know. 
it's it's nice mm-hmm. um, and anything you know one last chance to kind of explore their relationship was certainly welcome um so i liked all of those scenes even the way it was wrapped up what does gung 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 mean <laughs> anybody else feel like at the beginning um they're out there in this nice field and i see i see over on the back left some rocks in a cave and Molly goes off playing. She starts screaming. And O'Brien and Keiko get up and start looking for her. And I'm just like, and they're looking everywhere. <laughs> you know? I'm like, um, it's Star Trek. She's in the cave. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big open field and a cave in the middle of it. With just, a time portal. <laughs> yeah, just go to the cave. There's, yeah, there's probably a portal in there, and that's probably where she is. <laughs> but... Mm. But you know, I do agree with you, Steve. That I do like I do like Keiko and 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 Miles their, their interactions in this episode. Even if even if I don't think that their characters' reactions to the situation is exactly plausible, but the the way they are with one another, it is very much you know that it's true to the husband and wife that they always were, um, and uh, we don't get a lot of that time, especially these last couple of seasons after. After the after Yoshi was born, because mm-hmm. it's production-wise too difficult to have an infant on set, so we've seen her even you know far less. Um, so so even more. Nice. Yeah. So so even more of a reason to leave the eighteen-year-old Molly around. You know. It's well, no, it's it's not the eight-year-old Molly that's the problem. It's the yeah, I got one-year-old Yoshi that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, overall, I just have the hardest time, start to finish in this episode, taking everything seriously because it's just, it's just this is just too, too nonchalant. And maybe it's just because maybe this is the only way they could do this story in 44, 45 minutes. Yeah. Maybe this story just couldn't really be done in such a short amount of time. And I'm not saying I want them to spend three episodes on this, but that's like the only way they could do it that I would believe it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um Adam, what what was a scene in this episode that you really liked? A scene in this episode that I really liked. Well, I mean, I I'd have to agree with Steven, it would have to be the the wharf scenes um, you know, to him to him trying to be a, a father and be kind of manly. Those were uh, you know, the B story actually is more entertaining for a number of reasons. I mean, it's just funny so to see Warf trying find- so you did not find the following entertaining. Would you like the ball, Molly? Molly, <laughs> <laughs> you like the ball? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't I, I don't hate this episode, guys. I, I don't. I don't. I just um I don't well, my, like it. Well, my problem with this episode, and you know, I'm going to be really harsh right here, is it's just maybe you're right. Maybe they they came up with this concept, and it was a really good idea. Maybe maybe there was that on the table that they were going to leave Molly's an 18 year old. It just seems, I don't know. I, I'm I'm upset with this episode because it just seems kind of like they got lazy. You know, they just threw a time portal in the middle of a field randomly, and there's just a just too many cliches in this episode and um i that's why i'm disappointed with it it's just kind of like they got they either got hamstrung by people above who didn't want to do something controversial or they just got lazy and it's it's kind of you know 
there was an earlier draft of this script where instead of going back to um, a time when the planet was not inhabited, she went back to a time when it was inhabited and just started living with that culture and just became a part of that culture. Um, and she still came back as 18, but I, mean, I think maybe there could have been something you could have done there. Like if she had come back as a 30-year-old, like a total adult, maybe yeah. she, now she has a family of her own or something. I don't know. They brought her back that way, and then she wanted to go back. Well, you know, Just maybe. about anything's better, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah that, that's even a better, go, better idea. Where do you go with Wild Child? You know, where do you go with Iceman? I don't know. You know, my, my, my thought was, you know, they get her rehabilitated, and by the middle of season seven, you know, Jake's got a girlfriend, you know? Oh. What about this? Right. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> um, Steve, what's it about? I don't have the foggiest. Um, uh, you know, you, we, could, we could say something like, um, you know, cherishing childhood and don't know what you got till it's gone and so on. But it's kind of a stretch. Mm-hmm. Adam, you got anything for what it's about? Um, that kind of sounded good to me, you know. Cherish your childhood and um, uh-huh. be a good Just parent. Just in case you fall on a time thing. <laughs> Enjoy the time you have with your parents because you never yes. know when you might fall in a time portal and go back to your parents. <laughs> or when they might choose to send you back there. Um, <laughs> Well, by the standards of our show, when we don't have an obvious answer to the question, what's it about, that tends to be an episode that we think doesn't hold up. Uh, and I think that this is a good example of that. Um, so, And to be fair, it doesn't happen often. No. And this is, you know, there have only been... I've also said before that, to me, uh, DS9 season six, six. This is my favorite season of DS9. This has the most of my favorite episodes. My single favorite episode is probably still the visitor, which is obviously not this season, but you know, this season has, it has, we'll talk at the end of this episode about the best ones, but this season has several episodes that are so good. Um, it has the highest concentration of good episodes in this season. So anything less than good really stands out, you know, and times are, and it's unfortunately one of those. So, think we've talked about it enough <clears throat> let's move on to six degrees for times orphan all right so this one was pretty tough since there was only one guest star and that person was never in star trek again so uh even though our normal questions six degrees means asking about actors that played other roles on other star treks we're gonna have some generic trivia questions today for some of these episodes so steve you going first or second uh, i'll go first Steve's going first. In this episode, Molly becomes a wild child and has to learn to communicate again. This kind of reminded me of the original series episode, The Changeling. Uh, In that episode, Uhura's memory is wiped, and she too must relearn to communicate. Name the robot that wipes her mind. Hmm. Huh, okay. Um, (laughs) You you remember her, like, relearning? (laughs) Yeah, that was really silly. Yeah, Yeah, it was. Uh, Oh, man. Um... I'll tip my tongue. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to come up with it. Mr. Caesar? Um, afraid not. Nomad. Uh, Nomad. Yes. yes. 
Adam, the character of Molly was named after the daughter of what Star Trek executive producer? Um, Rick that, definitely. Oh, you're correct. You got it. <laughs> that was just a guess. But oh, and I was just about to say, this is one you either know or you don't, but you guessed yeah. Rick Berman and you guessed correctly. Molly <laughs> Berman is Rick Berman's daughter. All right, uh, Adam S1, moving on. The Sound of Her Voice, Season 6, Episode 25, Production Number 549, Original Air Date, June 10th, 1998, Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore, Story by Pam Pietroforte, Directed by Winner Colby, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast include Deborah Wilson as Captain Lisa Cusack and Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates. On board the Defiant, Cisco and crew pick up the distress signal of Captain Lisa Cusack whose escape pod has crashed on a remote planet following the destruction of her ship. The stranded captain reveals she has been giving herself trioxin injections to compensate for the excess carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. But there's not enough to last until a Defiant arrives in six days. She doesn't know you're listening, Miles. You're not comforting her by keeping the channels open and driving yourself crazy. It doesn't bother me. Sometimes it feels like she's actually talking to me. It's true. Especially when she talks about her home or her family. She reminds me of my cousin. Oh, no. I can't believe it. It's raining again. Adam, what do you think of this one? Um, I liked it more than the last one. Hmm? <laughs> I think, unfortunately, um, this episode suffered, on my case, because I watched them back-to-back, and I was a little upset with the first one. But um, <laughs> I'm looking at, looking at this episode now... Um, I like that. I kind of like that they tried this. I don't know if it exactly worked. Yeah. Where where the, the whole crew is kind of in a bad bad mood. Everybody is just not really on edge, but just kind of grumpy, and they're kind of tired of being around each other. And um, it seems like they've been on the Defiant for a while, and obviously they're going to have to be on the Defiant for much longer, going six days out of their way. Um, the idea of um, go, you know, I like kind of like the idea of. Uh, you know, kind of an outsider, you know, talking, you know, the, the, uh, the, the relationships that are built in that short amount of time are, are, I can really, you feel them, or at least I felt them were strong. This character, the captain, is that her last name? Kuzak? I'm I'm not sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Kuzak or something. Kuzak. Kuzak. I mean, you know, she's a believable character and, you know, obviously she's not on screen and all you do is hear her, but I mean, she's a believable, likable character that you can kind of feel there's depth to. So overall, I enjoyed the episode. Um, I don't really understand why they had to use, um, go with the, you know, the, the whole time. I mean, it's a Star Trek thing, go with the whole time. You know, the messages from three years back, I think they could have just went with the fact that they didn't get there on time as. Yeah, I think so, too. As you know, they didn't have to use the whole time issue there. It's just one of those times where they just. Well, as a Star Trek fan, it's hard not to spend the entire episode wondering what's wrong with her since they never cut to her. You know, right. Yeah. Yes. What's the whole time you're like, well, something's going on because they're never not showing me to her and I've never heard of her. I think they still could have gotten away with it there. I mean, because they kind of set it up as her just talking to the crew. And um, I think that was still, I think it still would have played even if they got there too late. I know that kind of, it's kind of puts a downer on the whole episode. So I kind of see where they wanted to go with the time stuff. But overall, I give the episode a B. Yeah, I, I, I basically agree that it's, 
it was a cool idea that works enough that I'm glad they did it. Mm-hmm. Which again is very different from how I feel about the last one, but um, it's it misses the mark in a couple of ways. Um, I I do think the ending, from a writing standpoint, originally it was based on on this idea of communicating with someone from another time, but you know eventually you you write it, the story the story changes enough that I think they weren't willing to let go of that ending and by the time Mm -hmm. they were done with it now the ending feels a little disjointed from the rest of it Um, and maybe if they'd been willing to change the ending a a little bit uh, it could have smoothed the whole thing out a bit Um, but I like this idea of of getting an insight into each character Um, for example Cisco and and his relationship with Cassidy Yates um, it does feel like it's stagnant and this episode is you know another step for him to kind of examine those things and see why um and you know we're going to see their relationship get uh, deeper in the next season um but from that point of view it like it's it serves a purpose it doesn't feel like as much of a bottle as it is um for example the, the last scene <clears throat> which is a really sweet scene, uh, Bashir's lines, when he says, I don't know what he says, it's something about, I'm not the stuffy guy you all think, you know, I I, I have a heart and I care about every, every one of you. Um, it's just a nice little line and, and it and it's, seems like it's in the right spot in the show. And then O'Brien has his bit about, you know, someday we're going to find someone's missing from our circle or um, and obviously, we're going to see that happen in the very next episode. But it, it gives it enough of a through line in the series to justify its existence. And, and I mean the episode's existence. You know, So it works enough that I'm glad they tried it. Steve? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think... Um I think it, it, it's uh, like you said. It serves a purpose. I think it's it's good that it's done, and it and there's the continuity with everything else, and it's and it's uh, some kind of you give some insight into the characters. And we haven't seen I don't know maybe we haven't seen a lot of that when there's a whole a whole war going on so much. You know, like see what they're thinking, what they're going through, and so on. And I think what why it's not great to me in general is that I have trouble I don't I don't feel anything for some reason with this character off screen Mm -hmm. I I don't know I mean they're all so into it and I I just can't help but thinking you know I don't know she's kind of annoying me I mean maybe they're all (laughs) digging and having a good conversation with her but to me it's just kind of like she's I don't know maybe she's giving some good advice here and there a good listener and so on but there's also the, compo- the the notion that she kind of just it's almost like she nags and it's like poor me I'm dying somewhere I don't know it, it, <laughs> and, and we don't know who she is so it doesn't it's not like it, you feel in that way so again I, I I agree I think I think it's a good it's a good piece in the large puzzle but as as by itself um, no I don't I don't think much of it so maybe they needed more well I don't necessarily need to know more about her. But if they'd given me more of a reason to care about her, you know, maybe she could have mm-hmm. told more. She could have told, talked about herself, but, but I don't know, told stories or something that could have, um, that could have been part of her advice to these people, but then also helped us to know her better, so that we 
maybe felt a little something uh, when she died. Do, do you remember, or when, she, when we discovered that she was already dead, mm-hmm. the Voyager episode, um, uh, I can't remember the name, the Voyager episode where they discover the Mars astronaut mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's been yeah. you know, dead for hundreds of years, and she, like uh, Seven of Nine kind of comes to know him through logs or something, you know, and then she 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 buries him at the end, and it's like there's a similar scene where um, you've got this person that we never well I guess we did see him so maybe that's not a fair comparison. I was going to say I the point is I felt a lot more in that scene when Seven of Nine is standing over his coffin than I did from the end scene here, but I guess that makes sense since we saw him in flashbacks. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Um. The B story was was amusing as usual. Yeah, that's um, um, Odo Quirk uh, uh, trying to get Odo to buy a, a gift for the one month uh, one month anniversary of his dating Kira, so that he can uh, <laughs> get him out of the picture, so that he can do some, you know, uh, dirty deeds. Um, and it's that's- really sweet when Odo decides to give him this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always remember that scene. I can never remember what episode that scene is in because it doesn't have much relationship to the A story. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. do. I always remember it. Um, that's how sweet it is. He gets this one, just this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And somehow when A and B stories don't connect at all, that's, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but somehow that also makes A story feel more like just a, a piece of a continuation than an episode that mm-hmm. you can say a whole lot by itself. I mean, it's not always the case that uh, A and B story meaning some both meaning something similar is a prerequisite for being a good episode. But, but when they're it, not, it hurts the A. Yeah. Yeah, it well, doesn't seem to hurt the B, but it hurts the A. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, and this one—I well, mean, in a lot of ways, the the B story is a little bit stronger in this episode than the A. Um, I'm not—I'm not putting down the A story. Just I think we've kind of discovered there's some holes that were in this the A story that could have been um, fixed. But the B story is, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I agree with you, Brian, about that that end scene with um, Odo talking about Quark. Especially, you know, after the, all that we've seen them go through, and so it feels it feels a little bit more meaning. Well, I mean, you, you're right. Those, there's a couple of end scenes. There's that scene with Odo, and then there's the scene, you know, where they're having the the wake, where their their heartfelt. You know, you feel something yeah. in those scenes. Hmm. Uh, what's it about, Steve? Hmm. I. Um... I don't know. Um, I, th- I think maybe um, it's the the value of talking through things, perhaps, and the kind of the um, the healing effect of uh, communication and and letting things out, perhaps. Adam, um, to me, it was kind of about relationships and that. You know, like Steve said, it's you have to be open with your friends, your family, your loved ones, if you want that relationship to grow. Um, we definitely saw that in the the A story, and we saw you know the end where they all kind of got it, where they see that there's the this captain died alone, and then you know, and they kind of realize that that could happen to them at any time, and it's you know mm. really truly um, embracing each other as family. 
And, um, you know, you see that in Quark and Odo too, you know, and their relationship, even though it's kind of, you know, only Odo realizes what's going on fully, but oh, see their relationship between A and B. Yeah. Well, I, I, where, I where, well, I guess where you, I'm sorry, where you see Odo actually kind of really does kind of appreciate Quark. Mm-hmm. Maybe the first time appreciate him as a, as a friend and somebody he can rely on. Well, I like this idea that, you know, when you have friends, you don't really die alone. Um, I think for me, it was it was probably more about this this idea, uh, the the concept that it takes a, you know, sometimes it takes a, an outside force to illuminate, um, illuminate the the stuff that's right in front of you. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, I, I think that's what they were going for. Um, and it was successful enough that I saw that, even if I didn't think it was quite on the nose or on the mark. Excuse me. Um, so it was a good episode. In, in an earlier season, it might have been a great episode. <laughs> in this season, it's a good episode. Okay, moving on. Six degrees for sound of her voice. Uh, what have we got? Adam's got one. Steve's got nothing. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Steve went first last time. Adam. Yep, yep. Deborah Wilson. Deborah Wilson play, uh, provides the voice for Lisa Cusack, the stranded captain that passes her time by talking with the crew from the Defiant. At the now defunct Star Trek experience in Las Vegas, she also provided the computer voice on the Next Gen's film and motion ride experience. Name it. So I am not asking about the Borg Invasion 4D. What was the, what was the other one called? The other ride. Um, I'm gonna have to pass because I've not never never went to it. You never went? Oh my god! I've actually never been to Las Vegas, so um, I couldn't tell you. I'm going on Monday. I'll meet you there. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, uh, what was it called? Um, god. <clears throat> I did go several times. Um, I don't. I don't remember. Klingon Encounter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Steve. Yes. Wilson is best known for performing on Mad TV for eight seasons. When that show parodied the original series, which character did she play? Hmm. I haven't seen that. Um, What you're referring to. um, Maybe Uhura? You are correct. She played Uhura. She used to come in the... uh, (laughs) I saw her all the time, that actress... In the post office near my house when I was in L.A. <laughs> and every time I'd ask her how it's going, and she would always say, blessed. It's a blessed day. Every time. <laughs> Moving on. Tears of the Prophets, Season 6, Episode 26, Production Number 550, Original Air Date, June 17, 1998. Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beimler, directed by Alan Croker, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Andrew J. Robinson as Garrick, Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, Mark Alamo as Gold Ducat, David Burney as Letant, J.G. Hertzler as Martok, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Casey Biggs as Demar, Barry Jenner as Admiral William Ross, Michelle Horn as Soggy, Bob Kirsch as Glenn, and James Darren as Vic Fontaine. Starfleet Command decides to take the offense in the war against the Dominion, and Cisco is chosen to lead the invasion of Cardassia. The first target is the Chintoka system, picked for its diminished defenses. 
Unfortunately, the crew is unaware that the Cardassian Dominion Alliance has secretly deployed hundreds of orbital weapon platforms to protect the system, and that Guldicott has returned claiming he has the key to destroying Cisco and the Federation. I've failed as the emissary. And for the first time in my life, I've failed in my duty as a Starfleet officer. I need time to think. Clear my head. But I can't do it here. Okay. We have said since day one on this podcast, or maybe it was day two, (laughs) uh, (laughs) that we would avoid talking about the spoiler that happens at the end of season six. And of course that was Jadzia's death in this episode. Um, now I've heard kind of conflicting things over the years, but the gist of it is that at the time, at least, uh, the way these, I, and if someone knows otherwise, they can correct me. Um, but at the time, the SAG contracts, the most they could sign people for was six years. So that's why next gen they did six years and then they had to renegotiate everybody's contract to do that seventh year. And of course, at that point, you know, sky's the limit and it made it very expensive. So then the seventh year was it because they mm-hmm. had to re- get renegotiate. So everybody got a lot more money. Show cost a lot more money. Seventh year was it. Same basic thing happened on DS9 and Voyager. Now, what that means, of course, is at the end of your six year contract, if you really don't want to re up, you can split. The only person who ever chose to do that was Terry Farrell. Um, it got to the point where they offered her, apparently, an incredible sum of money, and she still said no. And they were operating under the assumption during the season when she said she was going to split that eventually she would give in, and it was just about the money. And she kept telling and finally she told them, it's not about the money. I don't care. I, I, I don't want to do it anymore. I've completed my contract. So what happened she also was... Got- she got a show, right, with Ted Danson? Yes, she did get she did get Becker, but that was not until she was off of this show. She was auditioning for it and stuff, but okay. it's not like she got that and then she decided not to do DS9 anymore. Okay. That's not that's not what happened. Okay. So the feeling that it that it caused for Star Trek fans was that she didn't really like nobody else ever did this. And it kind of felt like she it was a personal thing. You know, like Mm-hmm. We own part of this show in a way, but it just reminded us that it's just a job to some people. They don't all look at it this way, you know, um, mm-hmm. and it was just a job to her. And as far as she was concerned, she finished her contract. And those other shows do seven years. I, I'm not on those other shows. I don't know. I don't care. I did my six. I did my six. I'm done. You know, uh, Steve and I went to the um, the Vegas creation uh, 45th anniversary convention in August of 2011 mm-hmm. and Terry Farrell was there um, and of course most many of the questions surrounded her departure from the show and she was very passive aggressive you know somebody asked something and she was just just like oh no no I um somebody said like why didn't you come back for season seven or I don't know something like that and she just said oh I, I finished my contract I did my six years that was my contract next question <laughs> next question that's really what she was like you know um so of course that's her prerogative and she chose to move on we have to respect that but nobody else ever did it you know um and kind of sticks out well yeah i mean the money i mean so she just made a bad business if if nothing else if she didn't didn't even like 
doing DS9 just a business That's another thing decision. Too, is, is that I can understand from we we've read about the atmosphere on the sets, right? Um, next gen, they really got along. They were why joking all the time, had a blast. And the same is pretty much true for Voyager. But DS9 was not like that at all. Everybody on the DS9 set took it very, very seriously. You know, I'm, I'm reading one guy talking about how on the DS9 set, it was like, everybody was like a Shakespearean actor. I mean, they were all taking it. It was all like that, right? But mm-hmm. Next Gen and Voyager, they were way looser, and they had a blast. It was a different, very different thing. And hey, maybe that's part of the reason that DS9 became my favorite Star Trek. Obviously, I love those other Treks too, but DS9 is my favorite. Um, so... Maybe there's something to those differences in the the timbre of those different sets. Um, well, I mean, well, next gen didn't start off that way. It no, it didn't. It took them a couple of years to get there. Mm-hmm. But but DS9 was like that throughout. Um, well, many thing what I was saying about it, it just a business. So she was going to get offered quite a bit of money to do the seventh season, and then you know, just out of royalties for you know when the show, you know, syndication, you know, they all still make money off that. So it just kind of, she probably makes a little less than everybody else. Yeah. Cause there's some, um, you know, good 20, 25 shows that she's not in, in at the end. Well, I'm sure this is what tees off fans was because people, you know, people understand more or less how this works and, uh, they must think, wow, I've offered that much money to do one more season. It has to be something you really hate if you really don't want to come back to it, you know? Um, so that's probably why people had to, and, you know, at least for me, um, and we'll, we're going to talk a lot more about this in the next season, is um, I'm, uh, and, and I'm going to try to have a more open mind about it going into this, is just um, what they decided to do with the Dax character. I, I do remember not liking it at the time, but I'm going to try and watch it and see if my mind has changed. So um, I, I don't remember. Like, oh, go ahead. I, I, like I said, I just didn't like, um, you know, they just. There's one I, thing to replace an actor, I might, you know, but they just just they had an out, an out with this one. They can just put the simian into another actor and just go with that. And I don't know. Um, I just have to I have to rewatch seven again to see if. Um, well, I feel- well, fortunately, we're going to be doing that very soon. <laughs> um, but I actually liked the direction they went because I'm glad that Dax was still around. So I'm glad that they didn't just totally axe the character. Um, and I'm glad I, I liked that it was in a, they went in a completely different direction. If they basically tried to replace Jadzia, that would not have gone well. That would have been terrible. Um, but instead, to put put the symbiont, and we're going to talk about that obviously on our next podcast. But but to put that symbiont into um, a young person with all her a totally different set of you know issues and the complete opposite really of the incredible experience that the Jadzia had over lifetimes um it did open up all these great dramatic things and i actually remember it fondly now i haven't watched it in a few years <coughs> but um i i like that solution and at least at the time i remember being really upset with terry farrell and i was kind of glad, glad that they killed her off she at 1.2 had offered to do to come back and just do a few episodes for them and she didn't see why it was a big deal why they weren't okay with that <laughs> um, just just write just write in the script that i'm in the other room during this particular episode mm-hmm. and during the next few episodes and then i'll come back for that one you know i'll do every fifth episode or something like that why can't i do that you know and i remember at the time reading that and on one of the message boards or star trek magazine or something and just thinking and and since then i've confirmed she did make that offer she did a recent interview with uh, star trek.com um 
And I remember thinking, do you think you're the star of the show or what? <laughs> you know? I don't know. Well, I mean, so. you know, like you said before, it's, um, you know, we're very passionate about it. I mean, you can even look into the original. Okay, it took Shatner years and decades, really, to yeah. warm up to Kirk and all that. So, I mean, Terry Fells, she's definitely not the first. She's the first to kind of leave, like what you said, but she's not the first to embrace not to embrace she's not the first actor to who's played a role in star trek to embrace it the way other um actors have so i mean um you know it's her prerogative i mean you know i still love her character and still love the work that she did um like i said it was her, her she's personal obviously decision completely against i mean she did come to that convention mm-hmm. last year yeah you know, so i mean that's cool i i don't those those pay nice too i'm sure yeah i'm sure <laughs> um I, i'm not i don't harbor the kind of negativity i think i did back then mm-hmm. um but i mean it, it, it i mean it happens all the time in hollywood i mean you know you look at the as much as i love the batman trilogy that we're going to get to see here in a couple of weeks come to an end there's still a lo- there's still that little flaw between um even though maggie gyllenhaal probably was a better actress it's still kind of it still kind of rubs you the wrong way when they recast actors and mm-hmm. sequels you know uh, even though in the, you know you can look at the the star trek the little star trek trilogy you know where um, with his Wrath of Khan with um, oh my yeah. gosh Christy even though she even though Christy Alley wasn't a very good Vulcan it's still kind of I'm still like why isn't she in all of them and so I mean it's just one of those little things you have to get over and um, mm-hmm. so it is what it is okay well let's talk about the episode alright um, so they kill uh, Dax and <laughs> 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 uh, and us, actually, uh, I guess we can start from the beginning of the episode. Well, I wanted to say because we're talking about Dax's exit, that seemed like a pretty violent, brutal, evil way to kill somebody, didn't it? Mm-hmm. I guess the producers were a little upset. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, she just got shot and fell down. It's uh, getting this red negative energy or whatever it is. I don't know. Like choked. shot over her body, and she's like raised up off the ground and the shot lingers on her for a while and then throws her to the ground. You're like, wow, they, they were unhappy. <laughs> That'd be funny if they, if they, if there was ill feelings and she sees the episode afterwards and in post-production they had like her body flying all over the room and banging <laughs> on the wall. It's like, wow, this is awful. When's it going to end? Thing lasts five minutes long. Yeah. It's like the scene from Nightmare on Elm Street. She's being spun <laughs> around the walls. She cocks up, kicks her in the gut a few times. <laughs> Um, so one crazy thing about this episode is so much stuff happens in this episode. This is like a two-parter in one episode, isn't it? Yeah. That's what it feels like to me. It, uh, it's the overall is it's it's good. It's very good, and it works. But it's it's unlike any other episode I can think of a DS Nine where when I when I look at it on paper, it I kind of think it shouldn't work. It's almost too much stuff, mm-hmm. right? For one episode. That it feels like it shouldn't work, but it does. I'm not sure why. It's just I a good pacing, I, editing, writing. I mean, you know, it's when those things come all come together. It's yeah, a good you know, example of it. It's really on their game to make this work with as much going on, and it feels very. It's hard to hear. Say again. I said it, it, it. Yeah, because they they put all those components together, it it really made it come off what could have easily been too much stuff, and it also made it very cinematic. I feel because mm-hmm. of that. Um, well, okay. On that, on that note, uh, Steve, I know you like it when they do uh, kind of their big effects stuff and stuff. This has a lot of 
mm-hmm. ship battles and a lot of action, the moon, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, if if all the series was was that kind of stuff, it wouldn't be very satisfying. But when you have these episodes, especially in a season finale or and so forth, where they do this, it's it's cool. And it, it was also for a Trek fan seeing all those different ship classes that we've seen in the past. Come oh, yeah, in yeah. battle. I thought that was neat too. That was nice. You know. And I, sorry to keep going back to it, but I just remembered another, this, this reminded me of another question I wanted to ask about Dax's death. Um, had you guys both heard that that was what was going to happen beforehand? Do you remember? I, I think so. I, I think that's what I remember. So you weren't surprised when it happened? No. Caesar, do you remember? Um, no, I don't believe I saw this when it first came out, so I knew it was already spoiled for me. Okay. Um, so, I love Garrick. Um, <laughs> but he he doesn't have much to do in it, but that's okay. They fit him in there. It's that's all that's you need, a, Brian. Yeah, just a couple lines. Yeah, that's all I need. And he has important <laughs> lines too. He really, in a way, he saves the entire Alpha Quadrant. There you go. Because <laughs> he figures out the weak spot for the that that those um, portable turret things don't have a, their an internal power source. You know, so really, he, they, they could on. have probably just called this episode Garrick Saves the Alpha Quadrant. <laughs> you know, and it seems like a lot of these secondary characters we haven't seen in a little bit, relatively speaking, especially after the beginning of this season, mm-hmm. you know, with the big long, you Wayne. know, it's, it's nice to bring them all back and here we go, you know, into the last season and stuff. I mean, I thought that was cool. Yeah. So would um, would you say the most besides Dax's death, um, pivotal where Cisco kind of has to make a choice between being a captain and an emissary? You know, basically he's finally given the ultimatum. It's interesting that he makes that choice. That didn't seem like yeah. So so Admiral Jenner insists you're either an emissary or a Starfleet captain. You can't be both. And he says, "I'll be on the Defiant in the morning." Um, and he makes the choice to be the captain. I. I believed it when he said it, but there were definitely times in this series when Cisco would not have said that, made that decision. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about like Rapture; he made a choice to go in there and stop the uh, Bajor from joining the Federation, and that was an emissary move. That was not what the captain should have done. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's more like refrigerator logic. You know, thinking about the episode after the fact, that was the only thing that I kind of wondered about. Mm-hmm, was, mm-hmm. I, I know it had to happen narratively. They needed, you know, he needed to go against the, the prophet's wishes and, um, Dax's among other things, Dax's death was a result of that. Um, also so all this stuff is a result of, uh, darn, what was the name of the episode where the, the Pyrrhath dueled with, you know, Jake, the Pot Wraith, dueled with Kira, the... Oh, the, the Reckoning. Reckoning, right. So because um, Kai Wynn stopped that battle, we mm-hmm. knew there would be consequences for that, too. And I think this all comes... In fact, I believe in a later episode, they confirm that the Pot Wraith that was inhabiting Dukat when he kills Dax was the same one that was in Reckoning? Um, perhaps. I don't recall that specifically, anyway. but maybe... Um. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff happens in this episode. And that was the only thing that slightly bugged me, only in retrospect. I'm like, I'm not certain that he would have been so quick to decide to be the captain instead of the emissary. That didn't, Adam, you mentioned it, so did it bug you? Or No, I mean, you know, we've seen this through Cisco. You know, there's been numerous times where he's like, I'm a 
Starfleet captain first. Um, so he kind of goes back and forth. I, I get your point. I think um, with the episode you were talking about before where he bolts in and he stops Bajor from um, becoming, I think he was, you know, obviously he was in a, a state where he's seeing visions and stuff like that. And this, mm-hmm. in this current sits, um, scene, you know, he's not, you know, he's pretty <laughs> much his normal self. So I think to this point when Cisco, he, the prophets kind of have to get Cisco into a state before he actually does what they want him to do. So and they didn't, they didn't rile him up enough, basically, <laughs> I think to uh, get him to um, do what they wanted. So did it bother you at all, Steve? Or do you think it was consistent with his character? Um, I see what you're saying. Um, I, to, to me, it kind of it leads to me what kind of the episode is about a little bit. I don't know if you want to head to that direction yet. Yeah, absolutely. It, um, Go ahead. I mean, it's, it's a couple things, but one of which relates to that, and that is the notion of sitting on the fence between roles. I mean, I think we play a lot of roles in our life, but I think sometimes when you don't when you don't commit to something that mm-hmm. you know is important, it can lead to disastrous consequences. For me, that's kind of what this is about, given the choices he made. And it's also a little bit about how you can't always, you can't take for granted when, when everything's going well for you. You know, at the top of this episode, it seemed like he had everything in order. You know, he was juggling the emissary and the captain, all those roles perfectly. You know, everything was going well on both fronts. And then by the end, it's just all fall apart, all falling apart, you know. And uh, so that, that's kind of what it, what it's like for me. Yeah. Uh, Caesar, what do you think it's about? Um, I'd agree with Steve. You know, it's if you think about, you know, I think what I was saying before, Cisco, he's he's divided in between these two worlds. And um, I think him making the decision to be a Starfleet, his heart wasn't in it. Usually when we see Cisco make a decision, whether it's to support the prophets or or just being a captain, his his full measure of who he is is into that decision. And um, when, yeah, when you see him here, even though when he says, I'll be on the Defiant, you know he's not truly committed to that decision. He's just doing kind of what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, at the end of the episode, he has that scene. He's playing opposite uh, Jezia's casket. <laughs> um, and he says, uh, for the first time in my life or career or something, I've failed both as the emissary and as a Starfleet. Oh, I remember. I failed as, an em- as the emissary, and for the first time... Uh, in my career, I've also failed as a Starfleet officer. Do you take that to mean like regret? So, like the Federation did win that Chintaka battle. They did initiate um, going into Cardassian space and taking the battle to the Dominion. Um, do you think uh, that he wasn't he wasn't crucial to it? He was, you know, he well, missed at, half of it at the price of of the wormholes closed, apparently. And Jadzia is is dead. You know, do you think that he's regretting that he went? Does he? Yeah, I think he regrets that he went. But yeah, it it is ambiguous and it doesn't make a lot of sense that he would say that in that respect. Because in in that way, basically the the regret has to do with um, not committing to putting that faith in what he should do as the emissary first, you know, not, not having much to do with the, his Starfleet career. Yeah, if he, you know? could, for example, if he had committed more to being a Starfleet captain, um, then the fact that they won that battle, ultimately, you know, he would have, he wouldn't have, he would have felt like these were prices that were worth mm-hmm. it, you right. know, and he would have been very sorry to lose, lose Jadzia, but it would have been a part of war, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you don't get that sense from him. 
Well, when we see him here, obviously, you know, he has to leave. He's struggling with who he is, basically. Um, you know, that duality in him as he's really struggling with um, what is he supposed to do? What is, who is he supposed to be? You know, everybody looks at him as this, the, not only as a spiritual icon and leader, and now people are, are looking at him not only as a captain, but as a leader of this invasion. And it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, to me, it's kind of like he's struggling with w- w- what is he supposed to do, you know? And, and obviously, the loss of Judzir Dax um, doesn't help because that was really, out of all the characters, that was the one he was he would confide in the most. Yeah. Um, and she would help him with whatever he needed. And um, now that's gone, and now he's probably lost. Pretty much. Well, you know, I remember at the time seeing this episode... I was a little bit disappointed in Cisco that at the end of this episode he was lost enough and he, and he just went home and it just ends uh, you know narratively Star Trek and DS9 end of season 6 going into the final season 7 it's cool that it ends on kind of a downer and gives us a lot of places to go I love the way season 7 opens but I just remember being a little bit disappointed that I don't know that I saw the end of a Starfleet captain. I, I saw what was too much for him and he couldn't take it anymore. You know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that I could see that. Or that I should see that. I don't know. Well, you see it about, you see it in Picard. You saw that, up, you know, after the, the Borg, you know, invasion. He went on sabbatical. Goes to the family. Yeah, know. I mean, you know, he had his doubts about even returning. So, I mean, it's not, um, it's not unprecedented. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I I see what you're saying, and I do kind of think that might be a weakness in what's otherwise a very good episode. Is that it's but, like you go all this point, it's like well, here's what we want to do leading into the next season, so let's just wrap it up, you know. And so yeah. you end up with this kind of yeah. uh, why did he do this? You know, you're kind but of even even family. That was an entire episode that started and finished, and in, in mm-hmm. that you know here yeah. it's yeah, it's just the last few minutes of the episode. Well, they, I mean, I mean, but but going into, I can see what you're saying, you know, as this being the last episode, and you have to wait for the whole summer. But yeah. I mean, they do it. It does get explained more in the next couple episodes what what he's doing, what's going on with him. Well, I think we've covered this one pretty thoroughly. Anything else yep. you guys want to add to this one? No, I don't think so. Here's to the losers. <laughs> I love. That they, <laughs> I love that they take the time for that scene in this episode with all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. They take true. the time to have Vic Fontaine sing uh, to Bashir and Quark after they request that he sing. Here's to the losers. <laughs> nice guys, but clueless. Well, let's see if you guys are clueless. Six degrees for Tears of the Prophets. What's our score? It's one one, I believe. One one. Uh, Adam, you won first or second? Um, I'll go first. Michelle Horn plays Saji, the little Bajoran girl that asks Sisko to bring back the prophets. Horn again plays Saji in the season seven episode Penumbra when she congratulates Sisko and Cassidy for what? Getting married? No. <laughs> Is that your final answer? Yeah, I'll say getting married. I don't know what else they would Steve? Um she's gonna have a baby? No. They announced that they're going to get married. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Sorry. No, they didn't actually get married. Uh, Steve, the title for this episode, Tears of the Prophets, refers to a line from the pilot episode of DS9 where Kyle Paca refers to something as the Tear of the Prophet. 
to what does she refer? Oh, um, isn't that what they call the orbs? You are correct. That's what she called the orb. Mm-hmm. Two one, you win. Look at that. <laughs> Takes it. <again. laughs> we were we were really on our game tonight, right, Steve? <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, yeah, in our last episode, um, Steve mentioned. Uh, yeah, we were all very disappointed with Prophet and Lace, and I didn't like it, but Steve really hated it and asked if, <laughs> if our listeners wanted to write in and say why they do like it. Um, ben, our UK listener, wrote in to say, I thought I would just say I personally liked it and would not make it the second worst episode. So my opinion is it's about sexism and equality and just got stuck in a good season. And and he made a good point, too, on, on our Facebook page. Uh, it isn't the second worst episode because I had said it was – the only worst episode was um, Move Along Home, but as he reminded me, I totally forgot about If Wishes Were Horses. Mm. <laughs> yes. Uh, and Benji uh, wrote in to say, Prophet and Lace to me is about Cork learning the error of his ways and how he treats women, and on a more practical note, it should serve as an example of what can happen when you have extreme political correctness. We are not allowed to question anything anymore, and when we do question something, people freak out, but I really don't even feel that was the point of the episode. The point of the episode was to make you laugh at Cork acting stupid and let you breathe for an episode between all the dramatic war stories that have been going on, and people just see conspiracy and attacks everywhere. It is not my intention to offend. It is only my intention to point out just how overly sensitive we've become to pretty much everything. And um, yeah, I, I agree with that idea too, that we do need those lighter episodes in the midst of um, all of this. Who, who wrote that, Benji? Yeah, that was Benji. Benji, I wouldn't even say it was the worst episode in the season. So um, I, I don't hold it as a, a horrible episode. So, <laughs> hmm. um, And finally, uh, we usually do like a seasonal recap. We've talked so much like throughout this season of how this season stands in relation to the other seasons. Even earlier in this episode, I talked about um, how, for me, this is the best season of DS9. And it's got so many just fantastic episodes. Um, I mean, episodes that I really like. I, I love that it started off with that multi-episode arc in a way that no Star Trek had ever done before. Um, there was You Are Cordially Invited when... Um, Dax and Worf got married, which is so incredible. We all love Mag- Magnificent Ferengi. Waltz is a great episode that I love watching. Of course, Far Beyond the Stars is incredible. In the Pale Moonlight, incredible. Those two are in the top three favorite episodes for the series. Um, really, really great stuff. And uh, there's there's so many great things in this season. Um, so don't let the fact that we've been down on Times Orphan and Prophet and Lace um, take away from that fact and uh, I know you guys would agree with all the, the ones I just named and, and character uh, arc wise that's another thing we've kind of mentioned in previous seasons um, if you had to just pick one character that you think uh, had more to do with this season and I remember the last season I think we talked a lot about Odo, but for me, this season is probably Cisco. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think primarily due to he's kind of what we discussed in that last episode. I mean, we he's got to the point where you think of him as the emissary. I mean, that's the primary focus of what he cares about, you know, what the, what it is to him. Um, and just a season ago, I don't know that we could have said that. I think we still would have talked about him being a, a Starfleet captain first. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
So I'm really excited that we're going to be kicking off season seven in a couple of weeks. Um, Obviously, if you're listening to this, you survived our server change. Our ho- we changed um, podcast hosts recently. Um, so, thanks for uh, putting up with any of those difficulties. You know, worst case, you had to resubscribe, but hopefully, you didn't even have to do that. Um, and we do this for you guys. We really love every one of you. No joke. Thank you so much for listening. You make it worth it for us. And uh, I'm really excited to kick off season seven. And I Here can't wait go. to tell my uh, my epi- uh, first episode of season seven story, which is, <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> I love to tell my personal stories about when these things these things air. Who says we don't have cliffhangers on this? Podcast? <laughs> That's right. There you go. <laughs> Unlike the show we're uh, discussing. So. <laughs> Leave us a review on iTunes. That helps others find us. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Um, follow us on Twitter at Trek Companion. Send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Also, if you listen to this before Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con next week, um, I will be going on Thursday. Oh, gosh. What day is that? On Thursday, the 12th, that's right, I think that's the day, in the afternoon they're doing a panel, um, among others, the Akutas, Mike Akuta is going to be there, um, the Akutas are going to be there, and they're going to be discussing uh, Next Gen on Blu-ray, so I'm definitely going to be at that, and I'll be at Comic-Con the whole time, so if any of our listeners are going to be down there, send, us, send me a, a note, and you can meet up or something. So, see you in two weeks. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.